Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I was thrilled to welcome Martha Brokenbro onto the show. She is an author, most notably or most recently, of the book Unprecedented, a biography of Donald Trump. So she and I discussed her book, what made her want to write a biography of the 45th president of the United States, what she hopes people get out of it, and what we can look forward to either with another four years of Trump or with a new president in place. So it's a fantastic discussion. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But first, I do want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is Nick Silvestri, great friend of the podcast, designed the official Detox logo. So if you like the logos, you want to go support him, head on over to snuffy.co. And I will be back with my conversation with Martha after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I am extremely excited to welcome her to the show, Martha Brokenbro. Martha, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing, well, I I was about to say I'm doing great, but I'm doing as well as can be. So just a little peek behind the curtain for the listeners. You're not listening to this until December, but we are actually recording this on Monday, November 2nd. So uh, 24 hours removed from some of the first election night results getting in, and we're going to see where we're at. Uh, you, the listeners, will know where we're at better than we do right now, recording. But um, but I'm, you know, I think I'm doing as well as can be expected. But I'm excited to talk to you about your book, Unprecedented, uh, the a biography of Donald Trump, because I think it's interesting to have a, a record such as this book that folks can go back and re-examine over time and figure out how we got to where we're at and how we were able to elect someone such as Donald Trump to the highest office in the land. And, and I think I was not alone in one of those in, in 2016 as one of those people who thought this just happened in a vacuum. And I I'm, you know, being a little, flippant with that. But it's, I mean, there was a lot more thoughts that I had, but I think I really did believe like we've all been conned. We're just, it's in a vacuum. He just showed up and did it. But what you've proved in the book is these things don't just happen overnight. There's a lot of groundwork that goes into making moves that he made and decisions he made. However, you know, spur of the moment they felt there's a pattern and there's a history of decisions and rule breaking and making his own rules. Um, And so we're going to get into all that. One of the things I want to start off with though, is really find out what drove you to want to put this down for not just um, us right here and now, but for future generations as well. Um, what was the motivation to writing that book? So I'm really glad you asked. First of all, I'm so glad to be here. I am delighted that you view the book as something that's meant to be useful for future readers, because that was absolutely one of my goals. So here's what motivated it. Um, And it's funny, I was just looking at the manuscript today. The book that I wrote before is Alexander Hamilton, Revolutionary. And I finished final copy edits and page proofs and everything in October of 2016. And so here I was for years immersed in American history and the complexity of the founding of the nation. And I had been reading um, the Federalist Papers and understanding what Hamilton and Madison and, you know, John Jay for the ones that um, he wrote, you know, what they were thinking about and what they had to do to get the Constitution ratified. And, you know, I was thinking about the Revolutionary War and how unlikely it was for the colonies to have won and for the, you know, the states to have become what they did. And I was struck by a description by Hamilton of what a demagogue was. And, you know, I think we've probably all heard that, um, you know, brought up since then, because I wasn't the only one who noticed it. But the description of 
Hamilton, that Hamilton did of what a demagogue is and how they excite Fuhrer and, you know, prey on um, people who aren't as well-versed in, in the facts. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly who Donald Trump is. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton died because he was afraid Burr was a demagogue. And what's interesting is to compare Aaron Burr and Donald Trump. So, you know, Burr has gone down as something of a villain in American history, but he was a, a veteran of the Revolutionary War. He was an attorney. He was orphaned like um, Hamilton Young. He was a rich guy. He was a lawyer. He inherited lots of money and lost it. So he was kind of a lousy businessman. He overspent. And because his finances were precarious, that was the principal reason that Hamilton did not want Burr to become president. Mm. Okay. So I started noticing all these fascinating parallels between Burr and Trump. And then when Trump unexpectedly won, I thought, oh, oh, you know, this is what Hamilton was warning us about. Because, you know, I knew, uh, you know, about what most people knew about Donald Trump. I had watched The Apprentice. I had followed his tabloid exploits to a certain extent. Um, to be honest, I was dismayed with how he conducted himself on the campaign trail. Uh, you know, I'm a former newspaper reporter and um, just some of the things he said would have made my hair stand on end had I been standing there with my notebook. Right. So anyway, after Trump won and he had established himself as someone who was hostile to immigrants, as someone who was anti-Muslim, as someone who said crude and disgusting things to women and about women, um, and as someone who lied a lot, um, it concerned me that people were going to write a book for young readers that was more in the vein of a traditional presidential biography. Right. Yeah. Usually, you know, those are like a story of achievement because typically yeah. our presidents of people are people who have achieved something. Um, now, many people are under the impression that Donald Trump has achieved a lot as a businessman. Yeah. That was one of the impressions that, you know, I uh, I was pretty quickly divested of that once I started reading um, about his business record. He is a below average real estate developer who inherited a whole ton of money. He's gone bankrupt more times um, for the size of his company than any other comparable company in the United States in the last 40 years. Um, he said himself when asked, what would you do if you ran out of money? He said, well, I might run for president, yeah. which is the most bizarre thing. I mean, if, if you or I ran out of money, what would we do? We would be like, oh my gosh, I've got to get a job. I have to fix this. <laughs> yes. That guy's like, I might run for president. What? Um, and so- um, And the audacity to see that as a viable career option. Like that, that's what got me. Like just how- Oh, anyways, but yeah, it, it, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. But anyway, so um, I really wanted to write a book that told um, an, a, a rigorously researched truth about Donald Trump. Now, when you're writing a book, you have to, you, you pick and choose. You can't put everything in there. Sure. And so I decided, and you mentioned this earlier, I decided to focus on the patterns of his life. Right. So if I could see things that kind of repeated, um, because, you know, the things that we do habitually, you know, that's who we are. Right. And so I chose to focus on the patterns of his life. And I made a very large spreadsheet, putting everything in chronological order. Um, because that's one of the things the news comes at us out of order. It's whenever reporters find out about something, that's that's when you get it. Right. So I put everything in order and I think that gives the most clear possible picture of who this guy is. Yeah, it definitely. And it's, you know, I, the, 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 <laughs> the student in me loved the end notes. I would go back and there were so many times where you would report something um, 
and I thought, there's no possible way he said this. And then, sure enough, there's the reference, there's the note, there's exactly when and where it happened. And I was astonished. And Something that was really interesting to me, and I don't know why this has stuck with me so much, has been the fact, the, the interesting point that he doesn't drink was interesting to me. The fact that his, it was his older brother, right, that was, um, that delved into alcoholism and it ruined him. And he, uh, Donald Trump saw that and was impressioned enough by that to recognize that he did not want to repeat those mistakes. And, and so I'm thinking, I think the re- I'm like working through this thought because I ever since I read it at the very beginning of the book and I finished the book and I think like a couple of days, it was incredible. Um, and I was telling you before we went online, I was engrossed in it and I felt a little like bad about that, but it was also like fascinating seeing the patterns. And so I think that's, that's what I was interested from a uh, perspective of, but, but ever since I first read that at the beginning of the book, it stuck with me because I think, I think the reason it's stuck with me so much is it's easy to dismiss his, um, his tweets, what he's saying, uh, the mandates he's making, it's easy to write it off as the ravings of a madman. And sure, of course, that's true. However, the fact that he's not like, I think for so long, I just assumed like he sounded like a drunk uncle at Thanksgiving kind of a thing. And the fact that he is sober making these decisions is a little bit scarier because of the fact that he's intentionally making his own rules forging his own path forward. You have several instances, whether it's with real estate or with the presidency, where he's been presented with two options. Like traditionally people do this when things are going well, they say this when things are going poorly, here's the facts, what do you want to do? And each time he goes, I don't like either of these options. I'm just going to go ahead and say what I want to say or do what I want to do. And I'm going to say the rules are now, the sky is green and the grass is red. And that is the reality in which I choose to live because that's what makes the most sense for me. That's what I like. And people just don't question it. They just step in line behind it. And those who do get questioned then get, you know, like people like Jeff Sessions, who wants to recuse himself from an investigation, gets reamed online um, for not following in line. And so I think dragging all that point home is to say, I think the reason that it sticks with me is just the fact that if he is so like, he is so committed to what he sets out to do that he doesn't drink because of being impressioned. He's so committed to this idea of I'm going to get what I want by any means necessary. And, and he holds true to that. And I think that's why it's so, it's so important to point out patterns like in this book, because if you can see the pattern of doing what you want to do, regardless of the consequences and not even letting any consequences bother you, then you realize that these things don't happen in a vacuum. So from that perspective, I'd love to know, since that was the most surprising thing that I saw right off the bat, what was one of the first things that surprised you when you were researching this book and putting this together? Well, so one of the things that you do as a biographer is you try to figure out, you know, what's like the central idea, the thesis of this person. Right. And for Trump, it became really clear that what he liked to do was win or dominate. Yes. And this is definitely a family value. Um, you know, it's, it was absolutely what his father um preached and his grandfather too. His grandfather was also in the real estate business and would go build um, businesses on land he did not own. Other people owned it. Um, Very aggressive. Um, So um, one of the first things I noticed was a piece of poetry that Trump had Mm -hmm. written for Mm -hmm. his elementary school yearbook. And it it was about um, how it feels to lose a baseball game. Yes. Um, I love it when the crowd gives cheers so loud and noisy to my ears. And I can't remember that, you know, something about. um, I like to hear the crowd gives cheers so loud and noisy to my ears. When the score is five to five, I feel like I could cry. And when they get another run, I feel like I could die. Then the catcher makes an error, not a bit like Yogi Berra. The game is over and we say tomorrow is another day. Yep. And so you, you can see, you know, this, he likes crowd noise and he likes winning and he was just a boy when he wrote that. And he has not 
changed. And once you start to understand, you know, people say, oh, um, you know, Trump is the chaos president. He's so unpredictable. I actually disagree. Um, If someone is always doing whatever it takes to dominate in the moment, what will they do? Well, they'll lie. They'll insult people. They will change the rules. Um, You know, it's, and so once you understand, oh, this is what he's doing and this is why, um, he's fairly predictable. And so here we are on November 2nd, 2020, the night before the election, Um, he is behind in the polls. His, you know, how can he possibly win? How can he come out on top? Well, he's gonna challenge the results. He is going to say untrue things, um, which is my polite way of saying he's going to lie um, and he is going to insult people. Um, So all these things are predictable, whatever it takes to make people doubt the results, whatever it takes to give him the possibility of staying in the White House for another four years. And so we just have to be prepared for that. Now, I want to say that some listeners might think, oh, wow, this lady sure is biased. Um, Okay. So I absolutely have a point of view on Donald Trump. And that point of view is informed by reading thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. Now, if an MD, a doctor who studied cancer said, this is what cancer does and here's what the cells are and et cetera, et cetera, you wouldn't say, wow, that doctor is really biased against cancer. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, this is my, this is what I say is I've studied this guy. I, you know, this is my take uh, and here is my documentation and you might have a different conclusion about it, but um, I'm quite comfortable that the facts support my reading of this. Um, I didn't seek to make him look good. I didn't seek to make him look bad. I'm just like, what are the patterns and how can I convey these clearly and succinctly? Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the, we talk about the election results and we talk about the patterns that Trump has. And I was having this conversation. I've brought up your book unprecedented so many times to, to several of my friends and coworkers and other people I interact with who are very nervous about another Trump presidency and they do feel he's chaotic and well, but the polls say this and whatever. And things that I've pointed out has been through the book. I've realized as we brought up a second ago that when presented with two typical point uh, paths forward for any given situation, real estate, business, or, or presidency, Trump continues to make something new occur, whatever that means, whether that is, having the sit down interview or congratulating Putin on getting reelected, whether that is meeting with Kim Jong-un. I mean, there's a variety of things that he's never, that he's done that have never been done before and are unprecedented for a president to do. And so I say, I, I don't know what's going to occur in the election. What I do know is I think it's going to be something we've never seen before. And I don't know what that means, but I do think there's definitely going to be election contesting. I mean, you have already, uh, I think by now they may have already erected the quote unquote non-scalable wall around the white house um, and stationed the national guards there. So that's already there. And, and I, I think, I think back, I don't know if you, have you watched the you t- a giant crib? Basically? Yes. Yes. Um, have you, <laughs> have you, <laughs> Have you watched uh, Narcos Mexico on Netflix? No. Okay. So uh, there's Narcos that covers the the Colombian drug world with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I cannot think right now. It's blanking. Um, but then there's also Narcos Mexico, which covers what was going on during Mexico during that period of time. And there's an entire scene in season two that's centered around an election. And the cartel wants a certain president to win because if they win and they stay in power, then they're able to keep their drug operation going. If somebody else wins, it will be shut down because they're aware of the illegal activities. Well, 
they find out that they can't tamper with the votes, but what they can do is they can influence the results. And they explained how the election results come in in waves, similar to how we have in our country. And some of the election results come in while people are still voting. And they said, if we can prematurely announce that this guy is winning re-election, then everybody else who's motivated to vote for the other party will either just vote for the one who's going to win or just go home. And then we will sweep the election in an election that we were losing. And I keep thinking about that because that is reality. And I remember when I watched that going, wow, that's crazy that that could ever happen. Oh, that must be nuts to be part of something like that. And now we're in a spot where you have people saying that Trump could prematurely just start announcing, I've won Pennsylvania, I've won Florida, I've won all these states, I'm winning re-election. And of course, the news say they will caveat anything and put it in a context and say, things aren't live. We don't know where things are, but it doesn't really matter if people are getting influenced by it and starting to buy into that. So I say to that is, uh, you know, when we're coming into a situation where people are like people like Trump are able to just get all of the news media because they're just saying whatever they want at what point, because we've seen it, you covered in how he got tons of free marketing in the 2016 election just by being bombastic with his claims. And so he disproportionately got covered over any of his opponents in the primary or the general election. So when you have a media that is, you know, going after anything, scrap of news to, to highlight it, to have something to say, because we're in a 24 hour news cycle, how can the media start to pull this attention away from someone like Trump and start to silence them because I feel like that is truly a kryptonite is if they're not talked about, then they can't do anything. But I feel like that's almost impossible. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really tricky. Um, so I started out as a journalist and um, I, you know, so I've worked in the newspaper industry, um, which is not really on the, you know, the newspapers come out once a day. Right. Um, you know, certainly now with the internet, you can update them and such. Um, but a lot of thought goes into, you know, what is on the front page and how you characterize these things. And, and isn't that just quaint and charming, like having time and perspective. Um, and one of the things that, um, you know, we've got all these different news organizations. And so when a whole bunch of them are responding to this at once, then all of a sudden it feels like this great big pile on. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to say, oh, well, you do it and, and we won't and we'll keep this. And I mean, it's really, it's quite difficult. Um, but if I were um, an editor, I would not repeat his lies. I would not put them into headlines because too many people um, just skim those and don't get the full story. Um, Trump believes that rules and norms are for suckers. Right. And, you know, right. what's one really easy way of winning? Well, you you do things that other people aren't willing to do. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's definitely, he's, he's already said he is going to contest the results of the election. He, you know, he did the same thing in 2016, um, in one of the debates and for weeks on Twitter before he kept talking about the results were going to be rigged. And, you know, he said that until, of course, he won. Right. Um, and, you know, so it, he's he's going to do all that. It would be wonderful if the media didn't give him so much attention. Right, right now, Facebook and Twitter and social media platforms are actually the first entry point for most people. And so even if the media did, you know, take a more measured approach to the coverage, it's not going to stop that stuff from getting out there. Right. And so it's incumbent on us as consumers of information to say, well, how do I know that? And is that accurate? And what are my sources of information? And uh, just not losing our heads over it. Um, uh, because of course he wants us to be upset and to be, um, you know, he wants to trigger the libs, right. um, and he, he absolutely wants to have all the attention on him. So yep. let's not give it to him. Right. And it's, you know, it, it's something where it's like, I, I've got it. Like, <laughs> 
I've been using this metaphor where I tell people like, hey, if a fan runs onto the field of a baseball game, the cameras don't show the fan because then that just encourages more fans to do it. They they shoot the crowd or they shoot the dugout or whatever. They just find anything that they can put the camera on that is absent of the crazy drunk person running across the field. And it's like, we've got a crazy drunk person standing in front of a crowd. Let's not give them screen time, good or bad, because whether you're talking about them and you're excited or you're talking about them and you're mad, either way, you're talking about them. And what's the, the old uh, the old adage? It's uh, all press is good press or, or there's no such thing as bad, yeah. bad press. No, or... no, no news. What is it? No news is... Well, there's, well it's like there's yeah, no such no thing, thing as bad news. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just... Uh... Well, it's, but it's like with children or with pets. Yes, yes. You ignore behavior that you don't want to see. And yet here's the thing. Um, traditionally, journalists have, um, you know, criteria for news judgment. If a, if a famous person does something, if there's, you know, lots of death, I mean, there's, there's these criteria you can kind of check off to say how important is this story. And so traditionally, what the president says and does is important by definition, because that person is the president. Right. And so um, it's hard to change the traditions of a fairly traditional industry. Um, and so, you know, I, I applaud it when it happens. And when I see reflexive centrism, which is distorting, I gripe about it. Um, there was such a headline, I think it was in this morning's New York Times that after this election, both parties are gonna have to remake themselves because the Democratic Party, there's going to be dissent between the progressives and the more moderate Democrats. Well, that's normal. Right. You can say that after any election. Right. That is not what is happening with the Republican Party, right. which didn't even put out a platform. Yeah. This year. Yeah. That's so a very you can't, good point. Yeah. You can't say that like a normal debate about how how progressive, how liberal do we go is anything like a party without a platform that has abandoned some of its central um, values for decades. That's, those are not two of the same things. And in kind of making those on the one side and on the other side, you know, this reflexive centrism, like the times being in the middle, yeah. it's like, no, that's like, that's like an elephant and an apple seed. Right. And they do not balance each other out. And that story is not fair. Right. You can construct a false reality with that. And that's one of the things that I did not want to do with this Trump book right. is to say, but on the other hand, you know, he built really pretty buildings. Right. Um, you know, who cares? Right. Who cares what the tile looks like? Right. It... Well, I know Trump does. He yeah. really does care about that. But <laughs> Um, you know, it was interesting to me how you're talking about the, the reflexive centrism and, and I, I was having this conversation with, with folks, um, even on this podcast where, or, and offline as well, where we were talking about like, you know, I think the best, cause you, you point out very well in the book that like, there are large swaths of people who feel who have who felt alienated from their party who felt alienated from the country who who were looking for who saw their jobs going away who saw their economy crumbling and didn't know what to do and tv has told them that this loud new york guy knows what he's doing so they go well i don't know if he's got the answers but i do know what i see around me is everything crumbling and tv and the media have trained me to believe that this person knows what he's doing so i'm going to trust him with my vote because the news and the media have also told me that maybe i shouldn't trust the Democratic, you know, the the Democratic Party because of, you know, what are they doing with like Bernie and Hillary and what's going on with Clinton and blah, 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 blah. But this guy is a businessman I'm using air quotes here. And so that's what you've you've got. And and the and so when I when I talk about trying to understand the psyche of someone who would vote for Trump and understanding evangelicals are voting 
one way, and then you've got these kind of blue-collar workers voting the other way that I just mentioned. Um, but they're both voting for Trump. And then I think about the fact that when I'm, I'm having these conversations with folks and we're saying, you know, I think the best way to move forward is sit down, break bread, have these conversations with people, and really try and, like, find a better way forward. And I totally agree with that. But then I started realizing, I'm like, okay, that's my privilege showing. I have the ability to sit down with people because my rights aren't being threatened to be taken away. And I'm not getting stopped and feared for my life anytime that a police officer pulls me over for just walking down the street. So I, I started couching that discussion by saying, if you have the privilege and the ability to sit down, let's do that. If you don't, then other folks who do need to be having the conversations to try and move the needle in these one-on-one -on -one dialogues. But that's that reflexive centrism that I heard from other folks saying, well, you know what? The problem is we're just not sitting down and talking. And like, yeah, but there's a point at which you can't. And you have to realize that that's not a reality for everybody. See, I actually don't think that's the problem. Hmm. Um, I think there's a couple of problems. Um, part of it, like, let's take something like the environment and climate change. 97% of climate scientists agree that human activity is contributing to rapid change in the climate that will be dangerous and you know, destructive from um, an environmental and human health standpoint. So, um, because of reflexive centrism, where, you know, they would say, well, here's the climate, here's the climate experts, but then there are some climate change doubters. A lot of people are under the impression that the science is not settled. Because we're um, giving both an equal Because voice, we're giving basically. both sides. The earth is not flat. We don't need to hear from flat earthers. Thank you. <laughs> uh, their point of view. Yeah. It's, it's silly and it's a waste of time. Yes. So, um, Partly, there's a lot of people who are really, really ignorant about big, important things like climate change. Right. When people have been manipulated by the media, um, and they certainly didn't do it on purpose, but that's a lot of oil industry um, funding, um, you know, oh, you know, it's not actually this, it's not actually that. Um, you know, the media have been played yeah. by the oil industry and people who do not want um, that source of vast wealth right. to go away. Um, and so as a result, people don't believe it's a thing. And so you cannot change someone's mind when they've been misinformed. They think they know. Yeah. Um, and so we actually have to start with the, the younger generations, honestly. I mean, sorry, climate change deniers, you're done. Right. Because as we, the next... Um, <laughs> generation votes. I mean, these kids know what they're talking about and they're yeah. very, very savvy and they tend to have a much better and more compassionate understanding of issues of identity, how it is not the same to be a black person in America as it is to be a white person. Right. You know, all other things being equal, black people experience more discrimination and, and goes on and on. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people who've been misinformed. My own father, I love my dad. He's 90 years old grew up in Maryland, spent summers in Virginia, the textbooks that he read as a boy about the Civil War contained absolute baloney put in there by the daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. He was misinformed. And how do you dislodge misinformation that a child has been given? And, you know, they he's spent... 85 years or however long since he first learned that nonsense, believing it, right. It's really difficult. And so I've actually had these conversations um, and I am an expert in Trump and I cannot dislodge the support of my family members. Um, and so one of the things that I've been doing, and yes, it would be lovely to have conversations and bring people around and it is possible Um but I'm actually very quick to say something is nonsense. Like if someone's saying, oh, sure. that climate change is a hoax, like nonsense. Right. Go to nasa.gov. You can look at this website, you know, our own government website, NASA, credible source, and they will tell you that. I mean, for as long as I can, I'm sure the Trump administration would very much love to take that stuff down. Right. But anyway, when someone says something that's nonsense, say it's nonsense. Don't say, well, those are your facts and these are mine. 
you know, you need to know what the facts are if you're going to engage. But once you have them from a reliable, credible source, like a university or, you know, scientific organization, um, and by the way, Prager University is not a university, it's garbage, it's nonsense. Um, (laughs) But, you know, don't give people airtime for their bad ideas. Right. That's a good way to say it. And that's a good way to point it out. There's, um, Fantastic, fantastic show, Mrs. America. It was FX. Uh, I think it's a Hulu original, but it was uh, in conjunction with FX. And it talks about Phyllis Schlafly and the Ronald Reagan uh, era and eerily similar qualities uh, to what's going on now with a lot of uh, supporters of Trump and not something I had ever considered as far as Ronald Reagan. Um, um, I just, you know, I wasn't alive, so I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. But, but... There is a debate where Phyllis Schlafly is having a debate with, oh, I forget who it is, um, but she is just spouting nonsense. And the person that she's debating with just calls her out. What's your source for that? What's your source for that case? What's your source for that case? And she's fumbling and she's like, exactly, that's nonsense. You're just spewing lies. Here are the facts as they are. This case said supported this right. This case supported this abortion right. This case supported this voting right. I mean, and on and down the line. And so to your point, that's what I think of. You do, you do, one does need to call out nonsense when it's being said because it's a very dangerous path to go down because I think we want to play peacemaker and try to find common ground. And we, and it is possible in certain situations, but I do, I do agree with your point of you saying by giving equal weight to both sides of an argument on things that are decidedly one-sided, then you're sowing doubt into other people's minds and you're starting to, you know, sow discontent on and on and on to where people will not listen on the next issue. People in many, many cases, and I'm sorry to sound partisan, but it is the right. In 17 states, it's legal to teach creationism as science. Yeah. Creationism is not science. Right. That is nonsense. It's yeah. baloney. Yeah. You can believe it if you want from a religious point of view, but it's not science. It doesn't meet those things. And to teach it as science is it's, it's destructive. So here's the thing. Um, people with bad intentions recognize the power of reflexive centrism. So if we've got a well-intentioned person saying, you know, here's the facts and here's the figures and here's the thing. And then someone says, no, you know, um, it it is this load of nonsense. And someone who doesn't know is going to say, well, it's probably in between the two of those, right? So what you've done is you've taken flour, perfectly good flour, and you've introduced rat turds into it. Mm. Now, you you cannot anymore say, well, you know, that's perfectly good flour to use. And so I'm going to accept these rat turds in the flour. No. Um, what we have to do is tell people, stop putting rat turds in the flour. Yeah. Um, and there has to be a cost yeah. to that. And so, um, you know, this is one of the challenges. I would like us all to read more. I would like us all to um, spend more time looking at data and information. And if there's some scientific concept you don't know about, you know, go ahead, read and learn about it. Um, and you sh- we can expect from each other a higher level of rigor and accuracy in the information. Reading is a great way to absorb this. You know, listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks, however you want to consume the information, but fill your head with high quality yeah. information. I was razzing you a little bit before we started about getting something from YouTube because <laughs> ah, that is a dangerous <laughs> yes. way. Yes. Um, you know, unless you're sure who's made that video, um, you know, whether or not it's credible, because there are people out there with bad intentions. Yes. Russia wants to hurt us. Russia wants to see us confused and disagreeing with each other. Why? Because Russia is a weak country with a crappy economy. And so they cannot beat us in any other way except to weaken us and to damage our economy. How do you think they're doing? Pretty good. They're doing great. Great. Hardly any blood has been shed. You know, maybe Putin's poisoned um, a dissenter or two, but that's it. They've waged an entirely new type of war on us with disinformation. And, um, you know, what do soldiers do? 
soldiers arm themselves Mm -hmm. against attacks. So we have to arm ourselves against these garbage attacks, many of which are coming from Russia, which is not our friend. Putin is a corrupt, murderous man. He is not someone to admire. It is beyond astonishing that Trump continues to admire him openly and that his supporters have no problem with that. Right. Oh my goodness. And you, you talked about the dangers of something such as creationism. I mean, I grew up learning that as this is the primary thing and it, it, it ruined, well, uh, ruin is perhaps a strong word, but it, it, it messed up my fundamental understanding of science for a good while. I'll say that. And that's probably the nicest way I can phrase it. But I mean, up until, I mean, I'm, you know, I, quite embarrassed to say for way too long, I thought the earth was thousands of years old. One, that, di- right, that uh, dinosaurs still existed, too. And and there was something else that I had forgotten. It's but not all this good evidence of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just the fact that, I mean, I even went to things like a creationism museum. Those exist. Um, and it's ridiculous that they're still allowed to exist. Um, oh, uh, it got, oh, it got... I think that might even have gotten taxpayer subsidies. It's totally ridiculous. And yep. you know, this is no knock on religion. No, no, it's different things. In, in this country to have religion. Right. But you cannot advance your own religion as science. Right. And, that's that's know, the it, point. Yeah. It's it's you it's like let's let the scientists teach us the science. Right. Um, and let's let historians teach us history and yes. not people with, I mean, it's, so you're in Texas yeah. textbook market is heavily influenced by Texas because yeah. Texas buys so many textbooks. Well, uh, a textbook a few years back, um, changed enslaved people to workers yes. and they described slavery as a migration pattern that's not a migration pattern no and it um what that does is it undermines the reality of the brutal inexcusable practice of enslaving people yeah and um you know we cannot do that if we want to understand the history of the nation and the the faults that were embedded at the very beginning because of the way we dehumanized a very significant portion of our population. Right. There were millions of enslaved people. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, yeah. um it's it's you know, to, to go back to that, we are, we are soldiers. We are all soldiers. We have been drafted into this war being waged on the United States by Russia. So how can we combat it? We can sit down and talk with people, but if they've been given bad information, um, we need to have a, a very effective way of saying that is nonsense. QAnon is nonsense. Yes. It's yes. Um, and, you know, there is no democratic pedophile ring. Right. Um, I mean, it just, it's, it's not true. Yep. And so, so many people believe it. And we actually have people who are poised to be elected who have those beliefs. And that is an astonishing failure. Yep. Um, so anyway. I agree. Yeah. We got to do better. We do. We absolutely do. And I've got, I mean, I've got two kiddos and I'm glad that I have this book that I can, you know, provide to them when they're old enough to say, Hey, look, this is, this is a reality and a record of what happened and why it happened and why it's important. It doesn't happen again. Um, because it's just, it's unacceptable on so many levels. Um, as we're starting to wind down, I'd love to know what's, um, what is for those who are listening and are about to go purchase the book? What is the one other? Th- what is perhaps one thing that you would love for them to take away after they finished reading the book? Um, one of the things that I would like for people to take away is um, how, if we had paid attention to things and if we had believed things, like a lot of people said, oh well, checks and balances will keep Trump in check, or he'll become more presidential in office. 
Um, you actually have to just look at the facts and believe those facts. You don't get to have, you know, engage in wishful thinking and hope that it's going to be better. Um, uh, you know, cause it has not been, he has not changed. Um, and he has not become a president for all Americans. Um, and, uh, so that's one of the things, you know, pay attention to factual reality and accept it. I'll tell a really quick story. Uh, about 10 years ago, my dad was in Tahiti. He was um, on an ATV on a volcano. He got in a really bad accident, broke 13 ribs, collapsed a lung, very nearly died. I mean, here's this guy, he's almost 80 years old. And so the question was, do we go get him, you know, or do we just kind of let him heal up and then bring it back? We weren't sure. But my mom said, hey, let's just wait and see. And I thought about that for five minutes. And I'm like, no, hell no. So I whipped out my credit card. I bought us tickets to go to Tahiti. It was really expensive um, and not how I thought that I would be going to Tahiti. (laughs) Sure. Um, And anyway, we got to the hospital there. My dad was almost dead. Mm. Had we not gone, he would have died. And that was you know, the impulse to just wait and see is a totally understandable thing. Um, You know, you find a lump somewhere and you're like, well, I'll just wait and see if it goes away. No, go get it checked out. And this is the thing. If you see something that alarms you, um, if you see behavior in a public official that, you know, doesn't serve, pay attention to that and do something about it. So that's what I want people to, to take away is all of the signs of, you know, that Trump would be a disastrous president were there at the very start. And so we need to pay attention to that. So I'd love for people to, to do that. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. We're going to transition. We got two more segments before the show wraps up. Uh, they're very quick. First one is things to check out it's a segment where I share what I'm currently listening to and reading. And I ask my guests what they're listening to and reading. I stay away from watching because I think we could all use a little less watching because there's a lot of watching going on right now, but that's just me. Um, so I'll start off. So one, what I'm reading actually. So as soon as I finished unprecedented, I busted out my copy of our revolution by Bernie Sanders, because I was given that as a gift in 2016. And I read it and I it was interesting to me to get his perspective on the 2016 primary. And then the back half of the book is is almost like a manifesto of what he would like to see in democratic or really just progressive policies moving forward. And what I appreciate about that is I like the the autobiographicalness of the race, but then I also love the like call to action at the end of I, I only took this so far, and then we know 2020 only took, he took a little bit further, but still not all the way. He's like, but it shouldn't end with me. Take what I've written and what I believe in, modify it for what works for you, and see a way to make a better America and a better world. And that's what I appreciate and I like. So it's, it was also interesting getting that kind of companion piece from Unprecedented to go to Our Revolution. So uh, that's what I've been reading. And then what I'm listening to, I am going to hype. I've got a music podcast called After the Encore. It's a deep dive career retrospective, long form podcast where I interview artists like John Oates, Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup, Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC. Um, I've got volume four that's released that uh, by the time you're listening to this will have already been released but feel free to go subscribe so a little plug for that so uh martha i want to know what are you listening to and what are you currently reading um so my next nonfiction book next big one um is going to be about artificial intelligence Ooh. and so i've been doing lots of reading about that the future of work by daniel suskin i think that's the right title um, yeah is is interesting and it's harrowing and it it's um makes me think really hard about i've got a kid in college and a kid who's a junior in high school and the kinds of advice i give them about what skills they need to have to survive in the future um and it's not necessarily what you would expect Mm. so that book's good um in terms of listening to i'm such a, a, an old school musical nerd that uh i've been listening to rachmaninoff <laughs> piano concerto awesome. because you know what they calm me yeah um i get it you know i, I love death cab for cutie i love oh. the new photographers so i yes. um i listen to them too i just finished a novel and what i listened to during that in this novel um, there is a forest that turns carnivorous 
And so I listened to the music of a German composer. His name is Bartholomaus Traubeck. And he took trees and made records out of trees. So the rings are like the records. And so I listened to the music of trees for that. I love and that. It's haunting and beautiful. So that's my weirdo. That's what I listen to. I love that. Um, that's absolutely fantastic. Oh, okay. Now we are going to transition to the final segment of the episodes, the dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out, but I do like to put my guest on the spot first. Martha, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up today? Um, oh, what do bees use to style their hair? Ooh, I don't know what. Honeycombs. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. I I have some uh, voting themed or uh, election or pol political themed, however you want to say, jokes, but they are nonpartisan. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, but I felt it was fitting. So Martha, what does a horse say when they're voting against a bill? Nay. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. Next one. How do you hack... Uh, perhaps this is not great to say, but whatever. How do you hack an electronic voting machine? I don't know. Ah, by using the right algorithm. Algorithm. <laughs> yeah, algorithm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Last one. Last one. What's the difference between democracy and feudalism? I don't know. Well, in a democracy, it's your vote that counts. With feudalism, it's your count that votes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, Martha, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, okay. It depends on which version of me you want. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm M Broken Bro, and that you'll get um, the heavily political, angry, and sometimes pretty funny version. Yes, I would agree. If you prefer to look at my cats and my dogs and the loaves of bread I bake, I'm Martha B-E-E -E on Instagram. Perfect. All right. Well, we do need a hashtag for this episode. And I was going to just use hashtag unprecedented, if that works for you. Oh, that'd be great. All right. Well, perfect. Martha, thank you so much for recording with us. Uh, this has been, I don't know why I say us. I still act like there's multiple people involved in it. It's just me. But thank you for recording with me. There's a ghost. Yes. There's a ghost right behind you. Oh, yes. I see it. I see it. It's yeah. the ghost of democracy come to take us all away. Now, <laughs> uh, well, listeners, I'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, hashtag unprecedented. And as always, I will hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. <laughs>